<laughs> we gotta we gotta replace this thing every uh every so often, right? Yeah, exactly. I'll try not to drool on it. it. This is made out of very specific carbon fibers for this episode. Oh, I can tell. I didn't know if you knew that. I, oh, no, I can tell. Yeah. Nothing gets by me on that stuff. Yeah, we had I've to got, make sure that it, we had the uh, utmost uh, quality. I've got a carbon fiber fetish, so Damn. I recognize it. Yep. So you broke your neck. 14 places. C6, C7. How the hell? That see that sounds like a that sounds like a like an old guy like made up like bar story. Yeah, right. And broke my neck standing. in 14 places, kid, right? Yeah, exactly. What uh, did, how did you do that? You know, I was well, I was at training camp of the Broncos in in 96. And That's a professional football team. It is. That's the NFL. It's like where John Elway played. Holy shit. <laughs> 1996. That's a that was a star-studded uh team in it 1996. Was. Shannon Sharp, right? It was the team that actually won the Super Bowl the following year. Terrell Davis? Uh we had Terrell Davis. In fact, I got a great yard. story about Terrell Davis if you know who he is. Yeah, I know who Terrell Davis. I was is. on the Niners oh, ninety. Yeah. I was a rookie on the Niners as an undrafted free agent ninety five, and we were playing. And he knocked against... the ever living shit out of the guy on the in preseason, right? And that's no, how they but this is right? you got to hear the story. It's <laughs> hilarious. So we were playing in in Japan on the the at the Tokyo Dome, and we we're playing Denver. And I was the special teams coach said, "Hey Harrison, you're on kickoff return. Never done kickoff return in my life. He was like, what do I do? So he says, "You're line up here and count over five guys, and you're going to run twenty yards back and block." Block the guy out to the side, and we're going to come up underneath you. So, count over five guys. It's Terrell Davis, but no one knows Terrell Davis is at the mm -hmm. time. And uh, so I sprint down, turn around. Terrell Davis puts a move on me. I barely clip him, and we just run the ball up inside of him. But I really miss my block. Elway goes, we we don't we don't move the ball. We punt. Elway goes down, and scores again. Back on kickoff return. This time I'm like, all right, now I'm prepared, and now I'm <laughs> doing. So I I count over the same guys. Terrell Davis, run down completely missing this time the returner never sees him coming and terrell davis just cleans him yeah it's on espn it may it's if you watch a terrell davis that's how he got history, discovered it was my block that it's because of you yeah I missed, I'm, I'm the one that created you terrell, invented davis. terrell davis i invented terrell davis that's and my his claim hall of fame. fame career probably right is he in the hall of fame he, he should is. be he is in the hall of fame if you watch his story yeah that's how it starts is me missing my block oh my god if it wasn't for me terrell davis probably would never does he know career. that uh he does Andrew, see if we can get Terrell Davis on the phone. Bring him on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. We got to verify this story. That's ama That's amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm the I'm the unathletic white guy that misses the block. Holy shit! I was wondering who that was. That was all me. All all these years, I was wondering who that was. That's my that's my fame in in the NFL. And so where? Shortly uh, after that, the next year at the Broncos, I was coming in. I I got a great read on a play and shot a gap. Down block and I shot the gap. It really wasn't my assignment, but I came through oh, earlier. Here's, here's the play. <laughs> is this? Oh, you got it. I'm hoping this is it. Yeah. If it's in the Tokyo Dome, that's it. it. Yeah. Watch this. Like this is the play. So look at for oh, 65. Yep. See that hit? Oh. That's man. me missing my block. Where am I? Yeah. I that's should where... be coming down right there behind it. That's me coming around right there. Because Terrell Davis. 65. Terrell. Boom. That's me missing my block coming over. That is hilarious. Terrell Davis that. is like a seventh round draft pick. He was right? sixth that year. Yeah, and boom. No, nobody knows who. Look the hell how far he is. behind I was in my block too. Like, <laughs> yeah, was it, oh, was he went by me so fast? Yeah. You're not anywhere near him. Yeah, look, that's so bad. Oh well, and the funny thing was, life's unfair sometimes. So when I go to the Broncos the next summer, right? So they picked up my contract. I don't think that that was me on my on my play. I go to the Broncos first day, right? They put us in an auditorium. Shanahan gets up to talk and he says, "Anyone can make this football team. Let me show you how." 
plays that clip. <laughs> I'm sitting there with the Broncos hat. I pull it down over my head and I slink down in my chair. I'm like, God, I hope no one knows that's me missing that block. <laughs> Freaking that's hilarious. A, that's amazing. You know, there's a, there's a term that we've uh, just discovered on this podcast and it's called HNL. Are you aware of this? <laughs> I think I'm going to find out whether I want to And it know. stands for Ho another level. Ho another level. <laughs> what what has that done for you when you uh you know played in the NFL? Yeah. You got your feet wet in the NFL and you saw that other people were on a whole nother level, right? Seriously. It's amazing. It you know, puts, I was, it kind of puts I, you I was, in your place in a way. It does. It does. You know, it's uh it's very humbling at times. And you know, I played I was kind of a late developer in football. I mean I I got a kind of a funny football story I, as I went out for little league football in Orange County, which is where I grew up in Orange County football, if you're familiar with sports down there, but it's hyper competitive. Mm. And I went as an eight year old, I got cut. Holy shit. Nine year old. I got cut again. 10 year old. I got cut. What was the reason? <laughs> I was terrible. You just sucked. <laughs> I sucked. I was like underdeveloped. <laughs> I was skinny. I was unathletic and I couldn't yeah. make a football team for the first three years. And it was really sucked because I, I had a hard time making them because I was fat. I was, <laughs> I was really big. Yeah. I was too slow. And the worst part was for me is I had an older brother, two years older, who was captain, no. starting quarterback, linebacker, every little league football team. My dad played college football. And all I wanted to do was play football. I couldn't even make a team. And just think about that. Like, you have kids. Yeah. Can you imagine them going out for a sport and getting cut? Like, Especially smashing a kid's dreams at eight? Three years in is a that row? Even, <laughs> is that even legal today? You'd be, like, thrown yeah. in jail they'd be protesting and marching in the streets if you cut somebody's kid off a football team today. did that hurt or did you not really understand what's going on oh no i was in freaking tears yeah i mean tears and talk about destroying kids confidence and and um you know telling somebody you can't accomplish them but you know what though that's why i played in the nfl right i mean i sat there and told myself one day watch i'm gonna get there and it motivated me and it's kind of been the <laughs> antithesis and story of my life i mean you know, nothing's, nothing's come easy for me. All of it's been a lot of hard work, but it taught me at a young age, you know, so I couldn't make the football teams. My dad played college linebacker. So I sat in the stands with him and, and listened to him talk about how to play the position mm. for three years. And then, um, and then as I got into high school, my body started to develop. I mean, I talk about knowing the fundamentals of a position. My dad was an amazing linebacker in college and that really led to me becoming, having the opportunity to play in the NFL. Um, obviously you have to have the speed and the height. Right. Which I did. Um, but it taught me about fundamentals in life and fundamentals in, in what you want to accomplish. And if you focus on those day-to-day things uh, and become a student of something, it can lead to great things. It's not always the easiest way. And some people can bypass it through just pure athletic ability, as you know. Um, but, you know, I didn't have that fortunate. You know, I actually think that people... Uh, genetic gifts, yeah. People deal with... I think people deal with losing uh, better than we give them credit for. You hear stories like that all the sure. time. And I think that a lot of people don't have what it takes to actually, to actually win. But the part of the reason why they don't always have what it takes to win is because they never lost before. True. They don't realize how bad they suck at something. And I yep. think that's a really important thing. You know, I did professional wrestling for five years. And when I, when I saw, you know, professional wrestling, we think, oh, you know, WWE the guys coming off the top rope and you think it's like all kind of fun and games, yeah. right? But it's it the athletes that are involved in that sport and the guys that make money in that sport, it's it's few and far between. So these are yeah. these guys are savages. These guys oh, are extremely athletic. And when I got they into have that, to be. you know, I was I was okay at certain things, yeah. I was, but I wasn't I wasn't great. I wasn't on that next level, right? Yeah. And it it taught it taught me 
hey, you know what? You're going to have to figure out something different. Like if you want to, sure. if you want to stand out, you're going to have to figure out something different. So what was for you playing football? What was kind of the next move? You, you broke your neck and. It's a dark time. You know, it was my whole focus was I'm going to be a great football player. And, you know, my near term focus was high school and then it developed and um, I had I was a highly ranked recruit coming out of Orange County when I was leaving high school. Stanford came in early, offered me a scholarship and I didn't understand how college athletics worked. I figured oh, I got a scholarship from Stanford, declined to meet with any other school. I was going to Stanford uh, the day before National Sign Day. They called me, and said, hey, uh, by the way, we couldn't get you into school, which meant they signed another kid. They had ranked above me, which at that point I was like, wait a minute. I thought we had a deal, right? Yeah. You gave me your word. Like, this is how this works. And that's how I ended up at Davis. Mm. I had, uh, I'd gone back and talked to some other schools that wanted to offer me a scholarship. They had already committed those scholarships to other kids. I was going to go to junior college. And I was like, man, I'm going to get an education and, and use football to, to, to get a good education. And went up to Davis. And at the time, it was a Division II non-scholarship school. Um, I went up to visit just to check it out and fell in love with the players and the coaching philosophy. Did and you have hopes and dreams of going to the NFL from Davis? Cause that's no. not very common. No, at that point I didn't. I mean, I was just trying to use football to get a great education and, and I liked the guys there and, and, you know, it's a lot of guys in kind of in my situation where they're overlooked, chip on the shoulder, love the game of football. So they're going to non-scholarship division two school. Right. And, you know, I, I, when I went on campus, got this overall like overwhelming gut feeling like this is where I'm supposed to go. And I came home and I told parents and coaches and my buddies that also played football. Like, I'm going to Davis. They're like, why in the hell would you go there? Coach Brand, was he there? It was Coach Foster was a head coach then and Coach Biggs. Strength coach? Uh, Didn't have one maybe? No, we kind of did. <laughs> but yeah. we, we worked out at the gym on the outside of campus. Right, right. Yeah, a lot uh, of times those Division two schools, some of they don't have one or at least. Oh, the gym know, that, was a joke. At yeah. that time, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we just had, a, but because of like the mentality of the guys there, we had this group, my freshman group and the guys, we ended up living a house together. I mean, we lived, ate, trained and breathed football and then going to school mm. and, um, lifting was just our culture. We used to lift from 10 at night till midnight every night. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I know. What, and uh, we loved it. What did you weigh back then? Or what do you weigh now? For so right now I'm weighing about, I'll range between 210 and 215. Um, I'm approaching hunting season. So I got right. a big sheep hunt coming up in August. So my cardio is ramping. My diet's getting stricter. Um, so I'm leaning out right now. Um, what did you weigh then when you played football? So I entered Davis at 220 and left at uh, 235, mm. 240 um, by the time I was done. How, what, what's, uh, what's been the change for you recently? Because even just looking at some different videos, even when you were doing the testing sure. with uh, University of Davis, you look a lot leaner than you did in those yeah. videos. And you looked lean then. What's changed? Uh, sports science. And, you know, really understand, I didn't understand, thought I understand diet until I got involved with Judd over at uh, Judd Van Sickle at the UC Davis Sports Lab, not just on training, but how diet can impact my performance on these big, long expeditions on, on big endurance athletic events. And uh, he's shifted my thinking on how I eat um, down to really low carbs, which I know you've written about yeah. and high fat. And more, fat, more important than even protein for, for what we're doing. And um, forcing your body to adapt to burn fat and being used to burning fat. And when those fat reserves run out, to transition over to burning your body's fat without bonking. And I didn't realize, right. I bonked on trips before and it sucks. I, I'm sure, you, I don't know if you have in, high, in endurance athletics, but when you bonk, like literally, oh, you yeah, can you hardly even walk. Um, and what happens and what causes that. And I hadn't realized it was the carbs. 
in short, you can uh, store a lot more fuel from fat. I you mean, can. it's like six or eight times, like it's some ridiculous amount more. Yep. Uh, and then also you can run off your own your own stored body fat. Exactly. Your body your body can also create ketones yep. uh, in the absence of carbohydrates. Yep. And so uh, for that reason, it ends up being a more efficient source of fuel. And then explain what you're doing on some of these hunts because uh, maybe some of our listeners don't know yeah. you know what what goes into it. Are you like sprinting or is it you know jogging or is it walking or what? It is primarily? the it's like an ultra marathon on steroids. Because we'll get, so where we're going, we're going to really remote places, let's say the Yukon or Alaska. We're flown in on one of those tiny bush planes, which is you and the pilot. Terrifying. <laughs> oh, it's so cool though. It's like the ultimate human test, is right. how I put it, right? If you're a hunter. Or just, you know, being uh, a hunter as a human being. I'd be scared just being on the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get used to it. It's yeah. actually an amazing way to travel. And they got those big tundra tires and we can land on little gravel bars. We'll get flown in and dropped off. A lot of those trips, you have to have a professional guide legally. Mm. And, uh, so we get dropped off and we're self-supported for up to two weeks and we may get dropped off in a certain point. And a lot of the trips, we don't even know we're going to end up. So we're out you know, on a sheep hunt. We're looking for sheep and we're looking for the biggest, oldest sheep on the mountain. Cause that's what we want to hunt. We want to harvest animals that are at the end of their life. And that's yeah, really be shooting babies. Well, it's just the ultimate test, right? Right. The oldest sheep's the smartest sheep he's been around and it's truly how to test yourself. And being self-supported, you got to carry all your own food. You got to carry your sleeping bags, clothes, you know, everything's got to go on your back. And so you've got to be really smart about how you pack the food you bring. And, you know, we'll walk 10, 12, 14 hours a day mm. um, on some of these events. I've walked 24 hours. In and it's not like walking on the street. None of it's flat. None <laughs> of it's steady. Right. A lot of it, very rarely is it just flat. I mean, most of it's up, down, broken rocks, cliffs. Is there usually even like a path? Some places, no. Sometimes you'll find a game trail, but there's no like hiking trails where we go. I mean, right. the places we're going now are pretty unique. It's, it's probably less inhabited by man today than even it was several hundred years ago mm. when there's Inuits because the Inuits aren't in there now. So we're, we're putting boots on the ground in places that, and seeing animals that probably have never seen human beings, country that hasn't had people travel through it in decades. Right. And it is amazing amazing to go through that country and experience it so you got to be in shape to do this so what do you, what's your training look like uh for this kind of stuff my train you know it's year-round for me it's part of my lifestyle always has been being being an athlete and then you know for hunting for me it's it's given me another focus to train uh, and this lifestyle keeps me super fit in a different way so you know obviously training for football is lifting and bulk and heavy and i've learned especially through sports science every pound to take off my body is like taking that, a pound out of my pack right endurance athletics you know you look at professional cycling i mean they're trying to shave an ounce off a bike right because it makes a difference uh, and, and for them weighing less is like really really important really for important their, for their race exactly and so i've taken a really scientific approach on the products we make it's why i started kuyu which why it's tagline ultralight equipment or ultralight hunting is using uh, advancements in material design construction to reduce weight because I knew it would transfer into performance in the mountains. Well, there's a lot that goes into that too, because if it's, uh, if it's, um, if it's raining, you yep. don't want whatever you're wearing to absorb all that moisture. Can't. And then if you're, if it's, if it's hot and you're sweating, you wouldn't want that either. Yep. It might make you, you know, right. It might potentially add to the load or just be uncomfortable. Well, right? and being wet can kill you up there. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, you have to have performance apparel in those conditions. Um, you need special everything, special socks, special shoes. You do. Special, uh, 
your special things to get you through the forest and all this stuff, right? Yeah, it's kind of like what you, what you created with Slingshot and, and some of the products you've made. I mean, it's it's for me, getting into this industry and creating Sitka, the first brand I created, and then now Kuyu is really solving the problems I couldn't find. Mm. Um, and, and you know, building stuff that I wanted that I just, no one was making, right? Right. And, um, and that's, that's just continues every day. I mean, I'm, we're always evaluating, always looking for new technologies and designs, you know, that we always say reduce weight and increase performance. Do you lift? I do lift. Do you? Do you even lift, bro? I, I, I sort of, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. From, from time to time. Yeah. Um, how, I do how, lift. How does a lifting lifting kind of equate, and how does that help? Because it's, it sounds like it's almost more endurance-based. It is endurance-based, but I just enjoy lifting. Right. It's, always, it's been a part of my lifestyle for since, you know, high school and before high school, and I just enjoy pounding steel. Right. I, I, unfortunately, as I get older, I, I have a tendency to, to if I do overtrain or do go heavy now, I've got to really watch it. Right. Tendinitis and joint joint pain, that type of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I still lift. I mix it in in between the the cardio training, and obviously, heavy cardio training reduces your strength. Reduces What's your, your best bowl. bench? Let's just get right to it. <laughs> I did four hundred five in college. And what about your squat? Five eighty five. There we go. Those are those are nice. great numbers. You know, I always tell people strength strength is never a weakness. You know, strength no. is strength is a huge part of fitness. Um, it is. But strength is also just a huge part of anything. If somebody going into uh, a surgery, somebody going into a hunt, somebody yep. going into a fight, I mean, strength is always going to be a major factor. I agree. And you wouldn't want to train uh, strength to your detriment either. You don't want to train strength so much. And this goes for powerlifting as well. You don't want to train strength so much that you are, uh, not paying attention to your nutrition or not paying attention yeah. to, uh, your overall health, your overall fitness, because your overall fitness is, is never a weakness either. Sure. When that's increased and then you can recover from your workouts faster and you get in and out of things better. And we've seen people come in here with like a bodybuilding background yeah. or even a CrossFit background or they just come from another sport and sometimes they kick our ass because their work capacity is so high yeah. and because they can, you know, do one set after another yeah. without hardly any rest. Um, what type of lifting do you do for uh, these hunts? Is it anything specific or is it more specific you know, to it's the just, conditioning? Yeah, it's no, it's just, I still do the same type of workouts. Um, you know, bench press, incline press, flies, um, legs, shoulders that I've done in the past. I you know, have a tendency to do higher reps now and not going as heavy and stay away from, you know, sets of three or four reps, you know, really heavy, heavy lifts. And, but I'm, my goal with lifting is overall strength, size and bulk. You know, I don't want to get, it's hard because your fight and endurance is going to want to strip you right. down. Right. And I, I don't want to get, you know, completely, um, you know, completely skinny. So just for my, probably my own ego and the way I like to look. So um, it's a lot of it, but also, you know, we're carrying, knows that sometimes 100 100 pound loads and we got to move that stuff around right and so and, and strength comes to play like you were talking about and i think if you don't strength train and you just endurance train for what we're doing at times it's going to shock your system yeah and as you've probably experienced when you're just strength training you do a cardio event it whacks you and i think that's where the balance is important and what i try to talk to our customers about getting ready for a trip is don't just cardio you're also going to be moving weight. You're going to be doing physical things. You got to move the animal too once you kill it, right? Just, it's all, it's all healthy. Plus, what I've learned from sports science is how much I was overtraining on cardio mm -hmm. and using strength training in between so that I'm not overtraining on cardio. Were you just like running every day or something? Or? I was doing cardio six days a week. Mm -hmm. And not that I was always doing a two or three hour run, 
but I was, you know, I would do a big run on Saturday or Sunday, but I would set up that run with a, with a long cardio event the day before heavy intervals, the wrong kind of intervals, uh, during the week with, you know, 30 minute speed run, an hour long, hour long type run on the treadmill and only taking a day off. Interesting and, thing about these things is they're, they're extremely negative. Like unbelievable. It, it's, it's amazing how negative it is because it can start to creep into your sleep, but it, it can also, it can also harm your health. Yep. Just, just as much, or maybe even almost worse than not doing anything in some cases. It's true. So you do have to be or you careful. Get hurt. Yeah, you do have to be careful on on how far you. And there's always people are like, "Fuck it, man! I'm just gonna keep training, I like push to, it, push I, it, push I like it." To, I like the red line, and I like to go crazy. Yeah. But uh, I know firsthand experience; it's not the way to go. Yeah. So we're you know, Judd. I think it's been 12 weeks now. He shifted my whole view on training and the type of cardio training I'm doing, and he now has me doing two interval days a week and one long cardio event on the weekends. And That's if somebody it. told you that like eight years ago or something, you'd be like, "Get the fuck out of here." You told me that 12 weeks ago and I was like, get the fuck out of yeah, here. Right. And seriously, I was like, that's it? You know, I'm, that scares me. Right. It did. It scared me. He's all, trust the science on it. And I have. I feel better today. I've leaned out more. He also transitioned my diet. And my big events are amazing. Right. Interval training's gone through the roof. And my probably body such feels a, great. Probably such a huge change from football. It is. Like football, different you, mindset. you know, it's like they, they just they got the two days and they're trying to kill you yeah. and you've got the pads on. It's 120 yeah. degrees. It's true. <laughs> right? It's not so true. They just try to absolutely annihilate you. And it's, it's so backwards in thinking. In fact, I'm on the, the UC Davis athletic board and I'm um, involved with the football program oh, and cool. they're building, they're working on building a new facility. I'm trying to get sports science to move into it with a football program to start working with their strength and conditioning coach to understand mm. The science behind training these guys, right? Because it's just blown my mind. I'll go over there and tell these guys what's up. You should. <laughs> I will. I'll go take you over there. I'd yeah, love to. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I'm so, uh, tight with Coach Hawkins and the athletic director Kevin Blue. They're doing a great, amazing job revitalizing that program to right. what it once was. So, loved to introduce you. Yeah, that would they be, learn a lot. That would be awesome. Um, so, how did you kind of? You mentioned you started another business. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever set out to be an entrepreneur in the first place? Always want, I, you know, my dad's always owned his, my dad's a physical therapist. He's always owned his own practice. Okay. And, uh, so you seeing that is, yeah. He always, you know, he had a saying when I was young that I love, he's like, Jason, you know, one of the things that I've learned in my life is sign the front of the checks, right. not the back. <laughs> and that always kind of stuck with me. And, I, and then one day I realized like, what are you talking I want to sign the front of the checks. Yeah. Like I want to, I was doing commercial real estate and I'm like, I want to be the guys leasing the building. I don't want to be a broker working. I want to right. do that. Like right. I want to have the opportunity to, to create something. I want the opportunity to have my own thing. Right. It's always been in my mindset. And I, you know, growing up as a kid, I'd meet my family, my parents, friends, and they'd have some entrepreneurs, guys that own their, I'm like, I want to own my own business someday. When football ended, I couldn't just had no idea what it would be, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I got into commercial real estate and thought, well, if I just make money, I'll be happy. We have nice <laughs> things. Yeah. Did that miserable. And then, I had a, uh, a client that I became friends with, kind of a good mentor and entrepreneur type of guy. And he's like, you know, Jason, and I talked about wanting to own my own business. He's like, the best advice I can give you is find something you love and create a business out of that. And I'm like, I love hunting. Well, how do I create a business out of that? Like, right. I couldn't figure it out. And then uh, in 2004, sitting on top of a mountain, cold, wet, and miserable, thinking about how shitty our gear was. Right. And I went to a hunting retailer and I was buying most of my stuff from outdoor outdoor um like places like rei or mountaineering shops and thought why can't we have stuff like that for mm. hunting 
I can't be the only one. Right. But I was, I mean, I was the only one to actually go do it. Right. We created yeah. the whole category and with a brand called Sitka that we started in 2005 with a business partner that was with me on that trip that um, we kind of came up with the idea of brainstorming together on it. And, um, you have any previous business experience other than the real estate? No, uh, I shouldn't say that. I bought two franchises, um, with some money I made in real estate and that kind of taught me the basics mm-hmm. and I did bought those for an investment, which was sold after you two learned years. the good and the bad and just learned uh, about running books and right. know, the basic stuff, business license and insurance and what margins were and, and yeah. how uh, important payroll. it is to do things the right way from the beginning. That's what's nice about a franchise. They kind of teach you the basics, right. teach you the fundamentals, right? Um, sold those, use that money to create, to, to launch into Sitka, create Sitka and had no apparel experience and came up with the idea. I was almost like embarrassed or scared to tell anybody like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and like, I finally told my wife and she's like, you should. You'd be really good at that. Yeah. And she knew I love like style and design and, um, well, that's huge reinforcement. That's the person you care about most right? telling you, Hey, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, especially when you go back and go, okay, um, I did it. Now I've got to leverage the house. I need to take <laughs> all the equity out of our house and buy $225,000 worth of product. Hey, about that idea that you said was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's, yeah. here's what needs to happen. To We're going to find it. out how good you think it is today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no experience and just was, but like the second I came up with that idea, I knew it was it. Like, that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And realize what, truly what this guy that told me, find something you love to do and do that because you'll really maximize who you are as a person, as a business person, an entrepreneur. If you do something you love, if you do it for money, you'll kind of get there. Mm. But if you do it for love, you'll master it. Yeah. And you'll become the best and you'll become something that nobody can compete with if you do something you truly love. How do you know when something's a good idea? I feel it. All get. You just feel you just feel it head to toe. I can see it. Tell people I said, you know, I can see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, smell it. Right. If it's the right thing. Right. And I know it like that. And it's not a but it's not an actual physical thing. It's just a vision. It's a gut but, overwhelming instinct. Right. And I've learned to follow it and it's hasn't let me down yet. Yeah, I've always told people like if you can't stop thinking about it, a so, lot of times it's a good idea too. You know, just something that you just, it's in your head. You keep thinking about it. Like, man, I need to figure out, how do I figure it out? I need to tell this person, that person. You keep thinking about it nonstop. It's true, right? And it keeps you up at night out of excitement. (laughs) Like, this is it. I can do this. This is going to be big, right? And I've done some things that haven't been as big or successful as I maybe anticipated. But tell you what, I've been way more right than I've ever been wrong. And uh, thank thank you. you. And, uh, you know, I'm working, I like to mentor give back to young, young kids right. or, or young entrepreneurs that reach out to me and say, Hey, I've got this idea. And, um, you know, one of the things I always tell them is follow your gut. Cause I had so many people go, Jason, you're nuts. You can do what? You <laughs> peril? You think you're fashion? I mean, right. come on, you can't just go right. start a business in apparel without any experience. And I went and came up with the idea and then pitch it to some people in the industry. Like no one's going to pay that much for hunting clothing. I mean, look at the prices in Cabela's and all these hunting retail shops. And you're going to be two or three times more expensive for now. Never worked. But when I something's knew, better. It's better though. Right. I just believed it. Yeah. You know, um, and just followed that belief and believed it so strongly that I didn't listen to anybody else. Was there times where self doubt creeped in? Uh, you know, I guess it's questioning whether I'm losing my mind. All right. <laughs> like how many concussions did I get? Maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's something to do with why I think this is such a good idea when everyone else is telling me it's such a bad idea. Um, but you know what? I've, I've 
not very much. Um, where I just, I trust myself, especially now. I think when you first start a business and you start to have some success, you're, uh, you wonder whether you're lucky or good. Right. Right. And I remember when we had success with Sitka, you, you go, okay, well, is that the right place, the right time or the right product? Or am I good at this thing? And when we sold Sitka to Gore-Tex in 09 and I turned around and had this idea for Kuyu because again, solving problems that I had faced with Sitka with retailers and the product quality I couldn't take to market and the markups and thinking this idea of going direct to the consumer. If we're going to do all the work to educate them and market to them and talk to them, why would we send them to the store to get it and pay twice what they should pay or make a lesser product because of price. And, uh, when I was writing the business plan for Kuyu, I, I told myself, well, I'm going to find out whether I'm good or whether I was lucky the first time. And, um, and whether my instincts were, were right and totally underestimated what we would do the second go around with Kuyu. Uh, it's turned out to be what I thought was going to be a small little lifestyle business, hometown type of thing. Sell a couple million dollars of revenue a year, mm-hmm. go hunting. Right. Life would be easy. Have a few employees has turned out to be the opposite. I mean, seven years later, we're a global brand. I've got offices in Europe. We have, um, you know, we're over 50 employees. We're, we're the fastest growing, largest brand in our market segment. And uh, all of it's direct online. Most of it's word of mouth marketing. And um, that's kind of what you've experienced with your business. It's amazing Absolutely. what you could do today if you make the best product in the world. Talk to your early adopters. Let them tell their friends about it. What what has separated the company out from uh, you know some of the other companies? I know you talked a little bit about the technology, but yeah, uh, what does that what does that kind of look like sure. in comparison to what's out there now? Well, one of the things that really frustrated me with Sitka was I would find fabrics and materials designs ideas and develop them. Look at the cost, talk to the retailer about what it would have to sell for, and the retailer's like, "We're not going to carry anything that expensive, mm-hmm. right?" So I'm like, "God, I'm walking away from really making the best stuff for my customers because." The retailers telling me you can't sell something that expensive. That's just lazy by the retailer, right? Right. Customers want the best stuff. I want the best stuff, but I can't produce the best stuff in the retail model. Right. And um, I also couldn't control growth, the sell through, the customer experience. It was just there's so much missing. There's so much lack of value added in today's retail market with the big box. Specialty shops could do it, but there wasn't enough of them anymore because they've all been put out of business mm. to really build a brand through specialty shops today. So. I had to do direct, I had to make a direct business model really to, so I could produce the best stuff in the world with no limitations. And then I thought, you know, if the re, if the customer's doing all their work like he is today, why are we paying retail market? Why does the customer have to pay for retail market? We used to pay for it because they were the experts. They scoured the market before the internet and found the cool stuff and they'd sell it to the customers. They earned right. it. Hanging on a hanger in a big store. Is that really right. earning it? And then like the big box are like, well, what are you doing to drive downstream demand in our stores for your product? I'm like, isn't that your job? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, the customer's doing your work. I'm doing your work. What are you getting the hundred percent markup for? I'm producing a hundred dollar jacket, sell to you for 200 and you're making $200 on the jacket, but I'm doing the work and the customer's doing the work. It's broken. Like it right, just kept right. saying, this is so broken. And now we're seeing it pretty cool. I didn't quite anticipate that the retail model collapse would be happening. Yeah, you like didn't it did. invent the internet, but it came along at a good time, right? Right. And <laughs> then timing, you know, with 
you know, the dot-com business is kind of starting off and they're not working. And then, you know, during the, the economy collapse, be able to come out with a model at the bottom of it. I mean, we're at the bottom of the market when I launched this thing. And be able to offer better product, better price when price was kind of important, but they didn't want to give up quality. And um, I mean, one of the things that people questioned with Kuyu was, as you've experienced with that direct consumer model is like, how do you get your customers? Like, where are they going to come from? How are they mm -hmm. going to find out about you? Like, how do you do that? How do you turn on a website and have success? How are people going to trust to buy clothes online with a brand that no one can say? Like, what's Kuyu? What's K-U-I-U? I've heard it all day long. Like, this is the worst idea ever, Jason. <laughs> like, oh no, it's awesome. <clears throat> Believe me, trust it's me, it's gonna be great. And uh, so I, you know, being fanatical about gear and products, um, I started a blog called uh, Building Kuyu. And when I was back in my garage, because I started sick of from my garage, back in the same garage, and I did a post a week. This is before social media marketing was even a term. Right. We didn't have Instagram. Facebook wasn't used for business. YouTube. Um, you didn't do anything with YouTube at the time. Mm. Video wasn't a thing. It was back in 2010. I just started every week. This is what I'm doing. I'm back in the garage. I'm overseas. I'm investigating fabrics, researching fabrics. I shared everything. And Was that through like a blog or something? Through a blog. Okay. And I answered every single question for um, like 18, 19 months before we launched. But it was really cool. I thought there's a restaurant in Sacramento called The Kitchen. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been to The yeah, Kitchen? Fucking amazing. Yeah. Right? The Kitchen. So I left Sitka in June of 09. And became a chef. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a great chef, but I went to the kitchen for anniversary, which is J July 18th, took my wife there. And, um, I was so amazed at how they presented their product mm. to talk about every little ingredient and what it created as you've experienced is this huge anticipation for how great that meal is going to be. And then it was yeah. right. Yeah. And I thought about that transparency. I thought if I'm working with Tori out of Japan and Petard's leather, like, why can't I do that with Kuyu? Like share everything, work with the best ingredients and like go down to the, all the smallest details. I think that'd be really cool. Let's try it. And that's what I started blogging about. And like, let's talk about retail model. Let's talk about how it's broken. Let's talk about the market. Let's talk about everything that, that no one talks a, about. That makes a ton of sense on so many different levels. Cause if you were to try to just bring things in house and to sew things and to figure out all those things in the very beginning, uh, it would suck. It would, it would probably sure. be too hard to really get it off the ground it would be. without uh, an understanding of the fabrics. And if, if you go into a company that's been doing it for 20 years, yep. or however long they've been doing it for, uh, that's going to give you a huge advantage off the start. Sure. Well, and just knowing what the reality is of the marketplace, right? So knowing what most companies are buying, they're buying fabrics in Taiwan. They're, they buy them for price. They're inexpensive. We call them sourced Asian fabrics. They're junk, in my opinion. And then they come up with some fancy name. It's this proprietary fabric created by X brand. Yeah. And this is a fancy name and it does this, right? When all intents and purposes, it's a stretch woven fabric that costs three bucks and they buy it from some Chinese mill. There's no testing. There's no quality standards. And that's what people are buying. And right. I thought, I'm buying Japanese technical fabrics from Tori. They're amazing. Let's tell that story. Let's go into the, down to the, how they make their yarn that's patented with no elastic. Let's share those details. And just because I was excited about it and what it did is attract all the early adopters, all the guys that geek out on the small details. Yeah, well now it changes the game because if uh, somebody says, man, I don't know, I, I can't spend a hundred dollars on pants, but if the pants are the same, 
every time you wear them after you yep. after you've worn them 10 times and they perform the same and they're very comfortable they look better they feel better they last forever they're more aesthetically pleasing yep. just yeah everything having it last is a huge deal you know some of these things um even from some big companies sometimes even like a nike or under armor you wear something like twice and you're like I know what they're buying. The thing's all fucked up. They're, they're you know, buying, it's all messed up after yeah. you washed it and worn it once. You're like, and I know why, because I know where they're buying their fabrics. And Those bastards. Yeah. It's price. Yeah. It's all price. And the retailer today is forcing it worse than ever. Um, I just got back from traveling overseas with my suppliers and, and um, you talk to them and I'm like, so what do you guys see in the marketplace? They're like, price. It's so frustrating. Mm. They want less quality materials. They want less quality. They want less expensive sewing. They want less, less, less. And he says, you know, as they talk about the crazy thing is though, their volumes aren't going up. Even though we're reducing their costing on less, less quality materials and less quality sewing, mm. they're thinking it's going to drive price, but at the end of the day, it's not, uh, or volume, but it's not. And you know, the consumer is the one that pays the price on that because pri it's not getting less expensive at the store. Their margins are only getting better or it's getting a little bit less expensive or it's getting discounted at the end. Right. How do you lower the barrier of entry into hunting then? You know, if, if the stuff is of quality and you can't really compromise the price too much, uh, how do you uh, get more people into hunting if, if the cost ends up being kind of high? Well, we don't do retail markup. So I'm selling it wholesale to our Got customers. You. That's how we did it. That was, that was a big part of our success. Yeah, you being a hunter, that must have been really important for you. Well, I just felt like it was right, being a consumer. Right. Right. And looking at the lack of re value the retailers are adding today and felt like, hey, if like I said, if we're going to do the work to market, our customers can do the work to find out about it. Let's just sell it to them wholesale. Mm. Right? Right. And wouldn't that be cool? Like, no one's done that before. Like, yeah. Let's give the retail market back to our customers. It's the right thing to do. Let's make the best product in the world and sell it at wholesale. It's the same margin I'd make if I sell it to, to a retailer. Right. For me, now the customer buys it without a 100% markup. That'd be pretty cool. Would it work? Uh, and it was like, a ma when... We finally announced that towards the end of right before we we're going to launch is really what tipped the tipped the business over. People just started going nuts and you know, having blogged about everything about the business for 18 months before we launched. And then like three months before I said, hey, what if we do this, you guys? What if we sold at wholesale prices to you instead of the retailer laid out the pricing structure, what it looked like? And that was when like just got this landslide of comments and and people wanting to purchase the brand, people threatening not to tell people because there's no way that I'd have enough inventory, which I didn't. Um, to the point where I had to carve up shopping days based on blog subscriptions because so many people subscribed mm. to the blog to purchase. Um, we saw everything right away for the first year. Yes. And then, you know, we we're basically out of stock for almost five years. Wow. Um, just trying to catch up the demand. Um, you said, uh, 18 months of talking about it. That must've been exciting, but it must've been brutal. Like most people don't have that kind of patience. I used to, <laughs> I used to answer you... questions till two in the morning. My wife yeah. would look at me and go, you're nuts. I'm like, I, I have to, it's like. I want to build this brand one customer at a time. And right. if someone takes the time to ask a question, it'd be rude not to answer it. I mean, I appreciate this. This is amazing, right. right? And that's the mentality this brand has. Let's do its best for the customer every day. Best product, best pricing. Let's answer all the questions. Let's treat them like we want and to And what treated. questions were you answering without a product being Questions about or... fabric, questions about fit, questions about... You know, or comments, hey, what do you think about doing a pocket like this? Or have you thought about, you know, making a down jacket gotcha. versus synthetic? I would ask questions too. Hey guys, I'm going to build an insulation piece. You guys want down or synthetic? We want synthetic. These are the reasons why. I think it's a good idea. Right. Thinking about putting my pockets here because of the pack. What do you guys think? That's a great idea. Can we get a chest pocket? 
yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Let's put a chess block in there. Right. That's a good idea. And really did a lot of crowdsourcing interaction. And people felt like they owned were yeah. part of building Kuyu. That's and huge. they were. That's huge. How much has uh, luck been been part of this? You know, sometimes it's it's easy to have Huge. some. It's easy to have. Uh, you know, you got like haters and stuff, right? Like, ah, you know, he Jason, he's just lucky. He hit hit the nail on the, hear it know, all the, the right, time at the right time and all these things. But luck is part of it, right? It's part of it. Um, you know, as I said, like nothing for me has come easy. I mean, uh, you know, we we launched, you know, launched Sitka with with no experience. You know, I say I was at the right place at the right time with the right product. I think you know, looking at the hunting market, it was. Even today, it's totally underserviced for the size of it, for brand and for performance products. Um, we were the first in. People really gravitated to the fact there was a brand that had a meaning of like adventure and mountain and tough and rugged. Mm. And um, but it, it but it was a lot of work, you know, a lot of sleepless nights. You know how many times we almost went out of business, not making payroll, but trying to get inventory and product. Um, but it does require some luck and timing. And then you know looking at Kuyu. I look back now, it's like I had a crystal ball of the future retail. <laughs> right. I didn't. A lot of that's like what we talked about, like yeah. gut instinct. Like this, I feel like this is the right way to go to market, direct, no retail markup, better products. I think this is going to work. And then the rest is like timing, which is, you'd argue, is luck, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, both brands meeting the right people at the right time. Like, ah, oh, man, how am I going to make, I got a shipment coming. I don't have the money for it. Like, <laughs> well, how am I going to get this yeah. money? And then you meet somebody or you reach out to somebody or something happens and, and kind of all the stars have to align, as I say, to make these things all be successful. Because I think, you know, when you look at the success of business that 97% don't work as startups, they're the ones that don't either have the fortitude to grind through the hard times or the, the stars don't quite align for them and something happens. I guess it's important to tell people what your vision is and what you're trying to do because you it don't is. really know who you're talking to sometimes. Yep. You know, if you tell other family members and you tell friends, uh, then even that word of mouth starts to it does who knows who's talking to who who knows who wants to invest totally. who knows who wants to just support somebody might even say hey man i i like the idea i just want to come work for you here all fuck it absolutely. i want to just work for you we've had that right people are like i'll quit my job tomorrow i'll come volunteer to learn what you're I'll to do be whatever part you, of what you're whatever doing. the hell you want me to do yeah <laughs> i'll it's true I'll no and there was luck i mean it was in, in 2015 uh i was working on getting sba financing we were profitable small business administration guarantees the loans met with my bank uh august before the end of the year they said you're going to qualify for max amount of sba financing gave them the financials 45 days later underwriters like uh you don't have accounts receivable I'm like i know isn't it great i don't sell to retail right i get paid before i ship my product they're like well we can't finance you because we can't check that box and i'd planned on this financing right, right. so I went to the next bank, the next bank. At one point, I had a 90% government back guarantee. I couldn't get a bank to lend me money because we didn't have accounts receivable. And I was like desperate. And the company was doing great, but we were backlogged in inventory. And it's like these moments, right? And I just started calling everybody I knew, like, do you know anyone that owns a bank? And my dad's like, I think this cowboy I know has something to do with the bank, right? Gilbert Aguirre, just an awesome guy, old cowboy, salt of the earth. I call him, I go, Gil, do you know anybody that owns a bank? He goes, <laughs> I own a bank. <laughs> I'm like, I need an SBA loan. I qualify, give them the information. So I'll, I'll get you a loan in 30 days. Some of those cowboys and farmers are unassuming. They have go, shit loads of money sometimes. Right? No one would ever he goes, I, I go, you own a bank? I thought you just did cows. And he's like, no, I, yeah, I own a bank. <laughs> and he got me the loan, right? It's like those instances in business. And I think it's, you know, I tell young entrepreneurs, like you're going to have to grind and you're going to have to not give up. And you're going to be sitting there going, I don't think this is like, 
I don't know how we're going to do this. You just can't give up. You have to, uh, you've been there. Yeah. You have to flip over every single rock, right? You and just be relentless. No stone unturned. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, the passion part really is important. If you're going to do, if you're crazy enough to start your own business is like, you better be passionate about it. Cause it's the passion that'll get you through those times. You're going, energy, oh, I can't I have no idea how we're going to make payroll tomorrow. Your energy won't run out for it. If no. you're excited about it, you won't give up versus if you're doing it for the money, you're like, ah, maybe it's not worth it. You got something to add, Andrew? Yeah. I was just curious. Cause you said you were blogging for 18 months. Yep. Um, how were you able to stay patient throughout the whole process? Well, I knew I couldn't launch yeah. until a certain period of time. I, I, there was a lot of work to do on the supply chain for me, development of products. Gotcha. And I had the time. And uh, it was actually my brother that came up with the idea. He's like, you know, Jason, I'm a little bit worried that you're going to disappear for two years you know, after selling sick and then pop back up with a new brand. He's like, why don't you blog? I'm like, what's a blog? <laughs> How do I set up a blog? He's a tech guy. He's like, I can set up a blog for you in WordPress and... He's Isn't like, that funny? Like, see, that just happened in passing, right? Totally. And I'm like, that's why it's important I'm to like, talk well, about. Well, what it. am I going to blog about? And he's like, well, blog about you. I'm like, nah, that's too narcissist for me. But <laughs> it might be kind of cool to do. Like, I was thinking one day I was actually on a run. Um, a lot of my good ideas come as training and I was Exercising like, what him? about building a brand? Like building Kuyu? That might be kind of cool. Maybe you guys would find that interesting. And I started building Kuyu, and uh, the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And then everyone agreed with you. Selling online was a great idea, right? Just like, really, you would do this and give us the retail market back and not take advantage of us? Like, yeah. it was like, it was truly like the tipping point for the startup That's in cool. such a massive way. And I've watched, you know, other consumer direct brands get created today mm-hmm. and I've talked to others creating them. I'm like, are you blogging yet? Yeah. Like, well, why would we tell everybody our secrets before we go to market? I'm like, you should because it's super powerful and you can attract customers and then you can get trust. This is all about trust. Yeah. Transparency is trust. I was actually shocked when I like researched you uh, a few months back and found a lot of stuff on the internet because you want to know why? I don't normally see that. Yeah. I, I'm like, how, like, and sometimes it's it's really, it like boggles my mind because I, I only know one way to build something. Yeah. Um, the, the way that I did it, that's the only way that I, that I understand. Right. Yep. But when I see sometimes these, uh, entrepreneurs who are real successful and they haven't done any of that, I'm like, oh my God, they're missing out on a, such a huge, huge piece. Yep, right. I agree. I agree. It's, um, and we interact with our customers on a daily basis. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, as I tell our, our team and we've had great success, but it's this brands for the customers. The it's, coolest thing I saw was, uh. Uh, like a lot, you do live launches. We do. That was actually really cool. And I haven't seen other people do stuff like that before. Got it from watching Steve Jobs. Yeah. Like you talk about influence, right? I'm like, how cool is that? A keynote thing. And I was like, how could we ever do that? And then Pat, I think Pat introduced us to your brand live, which is a really a platform. That's so, that's so smart and intuitive in a lot of ways because Steve Jobs did it in this way that, so everybody always thinks that everything that you need to do needs to be this big fucking deal. It needs to be yep. this huge production. Big production, yep. And it's like, well, you're not Steve Jobs. I'm not Steve Jobs, right? We can't we can't figure out some of the stuff that he did later in his life. No. Nope. But you could take a concept and say, I got a camera. I can go live for free on anything and people can watch. Absolutely. Live stream it. Yeah, we got this platform. This is before you, you know, they had Facebook Live and all these other live programs. Your, your brand live was a, a platform created really for in-store training for brands. And Pat's like, hey, do you, your brand live, do you think we could do anything with it? I'm like, can we do live product launches? They're like, no one's ever done it before. We can try it. So Sounds did, absurd that no one else has thought of it, right? So I was like, because I just kept thinking, God, if anytime I can talk to a customer and answer their questions about a new product, like 
we, we sell it to them hundred percent of the time. Like, what if we could do it to thousands of people, answer questions. That and makes then a lot they're, of sense. then they know all their answers so they can go sell it for us. That makes a lot of sense. We go to trade shows and, and our, our product yeah. is sometimes very hard to understand. Uh, it's very hard to understand it what it's going to feel like, what it's going to look like, how it's going to fit and what it's going to do for you. So at trade shows, it's, it's huge. When we put somebody in a slingshot, they're never like, oh, it sucks. You know, they, they, they always, they always enjoy it and maybe they don't purchase it, but maybe they even go tell somebody else who's got a bum shoulder. They go tell somebody else that they think that it would work well for. Well, I got in one today, your product today for the first time. It's amazingly simple and amazingly effective. And I love products like that. Like, right. It's just, it's, you get in it, you use it and it's like, wow, that works amazing. It took like five seconds to put it on. It took a lot of pain away from your shoulder. You banged yep. out some push ups. Yeah. I can't bench right now, yeah. but I can bench with a slingshot. Yeah. I'm going to steal one from you when I walk out <laughs> here or buy one. Yeah, we got a whole bag of stuff for you oh, uh, I can't on, wait to on your it. way out and to no, help your wife with her knee because she uh, busted it up doing some CrossFit, right? Tore patella. She didn't listen to you. You told her not, not a good <laughs> idea, right? Just repetitive, hardcore <laughs> training. It's just, yeah. it's a recipe for disaster over time, as you know. Have you got, you guys train together sometimes or it does, that doesn't work well? Different types of workout. Yeah. And I'm in there a lot longer than she is. Right. Especially with my cardio work and specific type of stuff I'm doing. But um now we, we go to a lot of times go to the gym together. We just have to drive separate. Yeah. How has your wife, uh, been involved? You know, it's like sometimes, uh, people's wives are like directly involved yeah. and they actually like work for the business. But even if she's not, you know, quote unquote working for the company, she's still a huge part of it. No, she's been involved with, with uh, both businesses. Oh, uh, cool. Chris and I are dead opposites. So, I mean, she's a numbers person, analytical person. So she's always kept track of the books done this the is a really weird story casey and <laughs> and it's always been the yeah. one that walks in my office and goes uh jason yeah well, we don't have enough money to make payroll tomorrow i'm like all right i'll figure it out and um that's when you sell drugs no i just sell more product <laughs> oh okay yeah <laughs> he doesn't follow our model <laughs> yeah no but it's it's I, been, it's, it's been a great time. partnership i mean it's you know i came out to her with the idea of sitka and she's like go do it and then i'm like okay so when we launched sitka i went to the trade show, we got one order our first year for $10,000, which was $5,000 cost. I'd order $225,000 worth of product to hit the minimums to fill that $5,000 order. And I'm like, uh, I got a order I got to fill. It's 200. I got to order $225,000 worth of product. The math isn't working out. So I well. need to <laughs> leverage. I need to take all the equity out of the house to place that order. Are you cool with that? And she's like, you got an order? I'm like, yeah, how big is it? I'm like, oh, it's 10,000. It's actually five. But it was ten thousand that they're going to pay us, and uh, she's like, "Do it. You'll do. It. It'll, it'll work." And then the cool thing was, <laughs> thankfully, well, the fir- the funniest part was who ordered this product. The truck shows up. We have a garage warehouse and an office all in my little garage. And I thought, yeah, we'll just we put up shelves and product. I had no experience, right? So the tr- this truck shows up with a container on the back, right? I'm like, cool. Our product's here. Run out there. I'm super excited and. Uh, <laughs> guy opens the back and all these boxes in there. I'm like, all right, well, which, which boxes are mine? He's like, the entire truck is yours. I'm oh, like, shit. Oh, like all of it? Again, the math not working out in yeah. your favor. So, so we, piled, we piled it on our front lawn and I had to go rent a U-Haul and a storage space to put it. I had no idea. It was that, like that lack of experience. And, uh, we had our neighbors going, you guys are moving? I'm like, no, I didn't 
start this business anyways and your wife just looking at you weird like yeah fuck she's you. like <laughs> you're gonna sell all that you better yeah and then it launched and the cool thing was a uh the retailer the single catalog retailer shanae's out of bozeman that ordered the five thousand dollars for the product three days later called back and said we'll take it all i mean they were they couldn't believe the response to it Music i love uh bozeman montana probably like one of the simplest places i've ever been Isn't it cool there'll be like a sign and it says airport and the airport's right there <laughs> Like when I you're know. in Los Angeles, you're following that fucking sign. You're like, where's it? I got to turn here for <laughs> the airport and I got to get off on this exit and you're trying to figure it out. And then you get to the airport and it takes like 10 minutes to get on the plane. Yeah. It takes it's forever. super simple. Yeah. It's In Montana, they, they, a lot of people just, they park right in, right out in front of the, uh, I saw people park and leave their truck on. Yeah. Just leave it on. And go in. And they go in and they like grab whoever they're there to pick up. Yeah. Why wouldn't like, you be able to do that? I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is Montana, boy. Yeah, like, where, yeah. like, where the hell? Yeah. yeah you, <laughs> California, you'd be arrested. Yeah. I'm like, where the hell am I? That's no, a cool place. Yeah. We have uh, so many uh, similarities. I just want to run through yeah, it. Yeah. I know uh, we do. It's been great to meet you, by the way. I just want to run through it for a second because it is kind of crazy in some way. So your your wife is and her family is from Dixon. Yeah. They founded the town. Her kids are seventh generation. Oh, my God. Like her grandparents did they name it they must have yeah they came over with the donner party mm. do you know the donner party yeah yeah like that, they're the ones uh, that ate people to survive right and there's my wife uh, hates it when i tell people that she's gonna be so mad at me right now sorry a, curse yeah her, the, she comes from a lineage of people that eat other people cannibals right, <laughs> right, right. yeah you're a survivor though i'm yeah. proud of you i saw that when we went to <laughs> better than starving to death <laughs> we went to like tahoe i think like that i saw there's the a monument and yeah. the sign. Yeah. Right. That's part of her family. That's pretty crazy. Well, we don't have a similarity in eating other people, but, um, <laughs> my wife is from, is from <laughs> Davis, California. Oh, really? And so, uh, yeah, she grew up here her, or grew up in Davis her whole life and was a swimmer and an athlete and stuff. And uh, that's where your kids get it from. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's where they get everything. Yeah, anything, anything that's positive. It's all, Mine too. All, it's all from, it's all from her. <laughs> But she also works for the company. She also is awesome. the the person to say, hey, let's pump the brakes for a second here because you always need that person. Yeah, you do. You need the person that's, you know, trying to throw a bomb every play and you need a person that's saying, hey, uh, maybe we should just run it up the middle here and there, right? 100%. Yeah, that's a huge, huge 100%. factor. And then we started our business uh, from our garage as well. The and, best uh, ones. And Casey Short, who's sitting right here, uh, he was seeing these packages come in and he was like, what the hell? Yeah. And you saw some of the boxes out there. Yeah. I mean, it just looks like drugs. These giant white boxes right? that come Coming in. Like from these... overseas in those weird containers. Yeah. yeah. Like what the hell, what the hell is it? And I was, you know, he, he was asking us about it and stuff like that. And he already had a logistics business where he was uh, doing shipping and receiving and, and all that. And just, we started selling and selling and selling. We started selling five products a day and 10 yeah. products a day. And, and you're 20. all direct too, right? Yeah. Like yeah. how'd you like, <clears throat> what started that? Why not go sell it to powerlifting shops? Yeah, well, there, you know, powerlifting is, uh, there's just not a lot of us. Um, there's probably a lot less powerlifters than there are even hunters. And so. Well, there's a lot of hunters. Yeah. yeah Very few sheep hunters. It's probably like what you're talking about. Like right. we market to sheep hunting, even though. Right. There's a lot of people that exercise. Right, right. Very few powerlifters though. But they're the geeks, right? They're the right. ones that live it and breathe it. Yeah. They want the technology. They want the best. They want the best stuff. Yep. Um, I guess, I mean, the main thing for me was, uh you know, I, I tore my pack, I got injured and, uh, I was trying to figure out a way, how can I still, how can I still lift? How yeah. can I still do the things that I love? And so I created a product that was for me that worked really well for me. And sounds familiar. The second that I made it, I was like, Oh my God, 
I have to share this with other people. I, I need to, it wasn't really, and I know everybody always says it's not about money. And then you're looking at every like millionaire who says, he's like, <laughs> like, is, yeah, it's easy yeah. for you to say it's not about money because you got millions of dollars. Ignore my jet, my yacht, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, it's not about the my money. Beach house, and my Ferrari. Making, yeah. And you're making it rain, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it, it truly, it truly wasn't about that, especially from the beginning, as I had no yeah. idea what the hell it was going to do. I was just like, other people need to know about this. Yeah. I know so many ex-football players and and uh, lifters in the gym that I've met over the years. They'll say, "Yeah, you know, I used to, you know, Mark, I used to be able to lift heavy weights like that, but I can't do it anymore. My shoulder. I'm that guy. Yeah, this happened, that happened, and I'm like, man." If they could only say they could still do it, they'd be yep. so much happier because they can still enjoy doing the things that they love. I miss doing heavy bench. Yeah. I used to I've love had people those coming up to me crying. You know, they're like, man, I, this means so much to me that I, I'm emotional over it. You yeah. created a product that allows me to do what I love to do. I mean, if I, my strength gets to where I'm doing 275 more workouts, every single time my shoulder lights up. Yeah. You know, with, with 10 Not anymore. Hours. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, not anymore with with uh, throwing on throwing on a slingshot. How do you manage, you know, the work life balance, and also how do you manage uh, the relationship with the wifey because she it, it does work for the company. It's hard. I mean, it takes. I mean, it has its trying moments, you know, with Curse and I, and and you know, you've got you see each other, you're dealing with stressful stuff at business, and then you're at home and you're dealing with young family and kids, and at the time when you're doing a startup, like we were, economy's the bottom. You don't know if things are going to work. I mean, it's a, it's tough. I mean, thank God for her. And, uh, Do you guys what, have uh, to communicate sometimes and, and try to figure out almost like how to communicate with did. each other because, you know, we it's, did. I think as a, as a guy, we're so fucking stupid. Like totally stupid. Yeah. When we're talking to our wife, <laughs> I'm the well, worst. when I'm talking to Andy, I sometimes just think she, I just need to get certain things done. So I just need to say, totally. And I actually lose lose sight of the fact that she's a woman, right? Yep. Women process things differently. And they need to Way be different. You, I don't even know if we do process. Yeah, I don't think we do. We don't know what's going on. We, yeah. But I'll say stuff, and I'm like, okay, well, I I, I got to rethink it. I'm like, okay, I need to say that in a different way. Yeah. You know, or at a different time. Wine has actually helped a lot because she it likes does. wine. So we throw some wine in there. It's easy and to I can talk. say almost whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Depends if it's good or not. Right? Yeah. 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 No, it's it takes a lot of it's taken. It's had its trying times. It really has and, and create a lot of stress. And, right. Um, but, you know, we've really grown together. And she's been my rock to go That's chase great. my dreams. And she's the coolest thing about Curse is she's never doubted my ability to pull this thing off. And she's always had my back, even when it looks like we don't know how we're going to get there, right? And... That's, I mean, our, our relationship today is better than it's ever been because of our ability to communicate, my ability to learn to communicate. I mean, I was a guy that just, it didn't matter what I felt. I just grind through it. You know, I'm, I'm tough, football player, linebacker mentality, but that doesn't work in a relationship. And it took me a long time to figure that out. You can't tackle your wife that way. <laughs> no, it's just not fair. It's not a relationship if you don't talk about things you need and You're right. you just hold everything in. So. Um, yeah, she's an amazing person. She's, uh, she's one, not afraid to speak her mind where I was one afraid to speak her mind. It's taking some balance, like how she talks to me, how I talk to her. And, uh, and then the work-life balance thing is, is tough, uh, especially with our business that's grown so fast and I've got to travel overseas for so a supply chain. This this way. And, right. um, there's, uh, it, it's, it, I have to really watch my calendar and force myself not to get wrapped up so much in the business that. I'm not at home, um, or I'm not seeing my kids. And, 
And then, you know, hunting season, I'm going on trips, test products, shoot videos, photos. It's just, it's, it's takes like a conscious effort to pull myself back. Cause again, I love what I do. Do you have to consciously, you know, have time away from your phone and stuff like that I do. too? So I get home at night, phone goes in a drawer now. I mean, I have to do it that Specific way. time, cutoff time? When I get home. Just when you get home. Yeah. I may, I mean, I may turn it on once the kids are in bed or I'm in bed at my computer the same way. Cause I used to work, come home and continue to work. And during a startup, you don't really have a choice. You don't have other people mm. that can fill in the gaps. Yeah. And when you're doing overseas manufacturers, you know, their, their daytime is our nighttime. So I used to come home from work and then <laughs> now I was working with the suppliers overseas. So I was working 18 hours a day. Shit. Um, but now it's consciously coming home, computer in the drawer or leaving my bag and my phone in the drawer until I'm getting ready to go to bed and I'll follow up on some emails at the end of the night. But it's, it takes a conscious effort. Right. It's hard. How are you able, how are you able to manage going on these hunts where you're gone for two weeks? A great team. Yeah. You know, I've, uh, was fortunate to get a great CEO, Melissa Wolf, um, from day one. She was the second person in, uh, to believe what I believed. And the funny thing is she came from a company called Jim Bree, which is kids clothing. Yeah. And she's like the biggest animal lover in the world. Yeah. And Jim Bree's got their big operation center in Dixon and she lived four houses down. I was like, Hey, can I pick your brain a little bit about this omni channel, similar type of direct to consumer thing that Jim Bree did. And then. Um, as I was using her as a consultant, bouncing ideas off of it, Bain Capital came in and took Jim Bree from public to private about six months or five, four months before I was going to launch Kuyu. And I was like, hey, Melissa, what are you doing for the rest of your life? Like, mm-hmm. you can cash in your stock, Bain Capital, you're not going to want to work for them. Come join me to build Kuyu. And uh, fortunately for me, she's like, yeah, I, I'm, I don't want to work for Bain. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard bad things about them and they're going to change the culture. And so she, I was able to get her with her big business experience and she created the online business for Jim Bree from zero to like 200 million in revenue. Wow. So she came on early and, and not a bad person to have on your side. Wonderful. And then, you know, it's been amazing. I've got, you know, Pat's who's here with us today. I've been able to bring in just so many amazing people who are so passionate about the business and every, it's like, we have the coolest team and it's like, it's a family that we have. That's the great. And, you know, people love to come to work. People should, like Pat, I have to tell him, dude, you need to go home. Yeah. You've been here since five. I find like, myself saying that to these guys. Get out of here. He's like, oh, no, I just love, you know, I'm showing up on Saturday. I'm like, you guys, take some time. Like, they're, <laughs> we just love it, right? And they're competitive, and they know we're creating something super special right. for this business and this business model, and everyone can feel it. Like, the energy, the culture, the the vibe at Kuyu is like, we're doing something really cool. That's great. And uh, it's just, it's the biggest compliment I can get is my team and how much they do for me and how much they support me and how much they believe what I believe. Right. Which is everything. Yeah. I got people sometimes will come in and they, they look sick or they have a cold or something. I'm just like, go home. Like there's, yeah. you know, we, we're, we are trying to change the world, but it doesn't need to happen on this day. You sure. Know? Yeah. Go the fuck home. I know. We don't want to get sick either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. yeah, we appreciate it, but no, it's true. And, uh, now it's, uh, uh, you know, building a company is, um, as much art as is probably more so than science. And, and it's so much about people and the people you have to help you. And as you're, you know, you start with, from the garage and it's yourself that does everything and then learning to delegate and pass down and trust others. You know, it's a process that's hard at times. <clears throat> yeah. Handing things off to other people is not always easy. Like, that's not how I do it, but huh, actually maybe a better way to do it. Oh you know? yeah. That, that's a, I, something I share with people all the time is, uh, have an understanding that they can do a better job. Yes. And give them the opportunity. I mean, yeah. and now my, my philosophy on management is different. I mean, I am a guy that's like, I will put you in position to be successful. I will share with you my vision, but I'm going to let you make all the decisions to get there. I'm not going to micromanage. 
knock it. We don't do reviews. You want to know how you're doing? Come see me. If you don't hear from me, it's because you're doing good. Right. And, um, and I just believe autonomy, be able to build what they believe is the right thing to build for the company. It's way better than I could try to sit in their shoes and say, this is the way you should do it. Even though I don't do it every day. It's like, you, you're, th you're there. Right. We're, it's, we're a customer first brand. We're remarkable at everything we do. You do your thing that way. Right. And I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Well, and they and love it. It won't be a long time before they're better than you. They I, are because better. Because they are doing it every day. Exactly. And it motivates them, right? It's their own thing. Like they're part of the success. They're not told how to be successful. They're building it within the whole organization. We've had people come in from outside with big corporate resumes. I mean, we had a guy come in from HP. He had a Sigma 6 training <laughs> manuals, qualification, <laughs> certification. I fired him three days later. <laughs> it's like... Get out the door. We don't run this company that way. We yeah. don't put throw people in the bus. We don't tell people what they're doing wrong. We don't care about org charts. We just care about doing what's best for the customer. Right. And uh, it's it's fun that way. And our, and the guys that are in a lot of everyone's tons of homegrown talent. I don't give a crap if you have a degree. You don't have a degree. You're either good or you're not good. You're either competitive right. or you're not. And uh, it's let us do amazing things and build a really big company with very few. What was the first product? We did, I did a layering system. So skin to shell system, six piece. And then I had this idea for a carbon fiber framed backpack, which we invented the first one. I've got patents on it. No one had taken sounds carbon so fiber. Serious. It sounds like it can't be blown up by a grenade. <laughs> well, carbon fiber, fiber is an amazing material. Yeah. Um, it's really light. It's really, you know, it's and if you engineer it correctly, you can have, you know, really <clears throat> stiffness in certain directions, flex a certain way. There's a lot to it. Um, there's a lot to figure out with it too. And uh, fortunately for me, kind of we talk about meeting the right people at the right times. A good friend of my dad's uh, worked for Lockheed Martin, developed carbon fiber nose cones for nuclear missiles, mm. um, Tomahawk cruise missiles, components and fins out of carbon fiber and uh, carbon fiber masks for America's Cup racing boats. He invented those. So I, once we sold Sitka, I went over to a shop and it's actually Minden, Nevada and brought backpacks. And I'm like, I have this idea. Could carbon fiber do this? And he's like, totally good. So it's actually be a great application. So he helped me create the first kind of working prototypes. And then, uh, um, you know, over the last seven years, we've really fine-tuned carbon fiber and using mm -hmm. our pack line. It's, it's allowed us to create the lightest weight, heavy load-carrying pack in the world. Um, awesome. The frame weighs 11 ounces. It lets us have a modular pack system. It's the biggest innovation in backpacks since the, I don't know if you know backpacks, but they had big metal external frame backpacks mm -hmm. back in the day and then they invented their internal frame this is a biggest back in the 70s this is the biggest invention in backpacks since the 70s wow um, what what are you most proud of that i mean that's as far as a product yeah that's my that's my most proud product yeah you know because it was total blue sky idea um something that was patentable um that nobody had done before you know apparel's fun we can make better jacket with better fabrics maybe better seam lines or adjust a sleeve or pocket a certain way but you know, truly to invent something that never right. been created before is, is that will always be, you know, kind of my prized project, at least to this point. When you created that first line, um, how, how did you know, just how did you, how did you know it was like the right thing? You know, cause it probably took some time to create the, all those six pieces, right? Well, it, it did. I mean, having the experience from Sitka, I learned a lot. Um, and I knew about Tori Japanese fabrics. Um, I just couldn't use them. And so I already kind of, I visually, I knew what I wanted as far as the product, the look, the feel, and then to work with a design, design, designer at a factory to put it kind of together. Um, 
I knew it was spot on when we got it done. I knew it would be great. And, you know, the big thing with, uh, with us was weight and performance. And the Japanese company I buy fabrics from Tori has a patent on their yarn on how it stretches and recovers. Mm-hmm. And they don't have elastic in it. It's amazing. Like most stretch fabrics have to have elastic. Right. Up to 10, 12, 15, 20%. Elastic's heavy. It holds moisture and has no performance value other than fabric stretched out, pulls it back to its original form. Um, just by making a layering system out of Torre fabrics with Kuyu versus the same layering system I created at Sitka, we, we took four and a half pounds of elastic out of it. Wow. Which is a lot if you're climbing a mountain. Yeah. Um, and then you add in the packs and the weight savings there, we're able to, to create a lighter weight performing product line and um, dried faster, lasted longer. And so I just, I knew it was, I knew it was on. We launched it. Andrew, you got a couple questions over there, buddy? Yeah, I want to pull up this video real quick. Sure. So yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> That's me still trying to develop products, um, solving a problem I can't I can't find the answer to. Um, we use spotting scopes for hunting. Like we're sitting there with binoculars and we okay. spot something a long ways away and then we'll pull out a telescope or we call a spotting scope. Yeah. You know, that animal may be a mile away and we're going to dial it in to look at how big it is or, or watch it. Mm-hmm. And so we have to carry a tripod. And then that's a head that the spotting scope attaches to, kind of like what you use for your video cameras. Yeah, yeah. For us, we're using photographic or video heads. Most of the, like nothing's been specifically designed around hunting. Cool. And so weight isn't that important for videographer or someone's carrying around day to day. So this is all, um, this is machined, crafted by a company called 2A Armament out of Boise, Idaho. And they engineered this and machined out of um, aircraft aluminum. So it weighs six ounces versus the other one I'm using, which is 23 ounces. Mm-hmm. And it performs just as well. So this is the first prototype. Yeah, it looks cool. I mean, because it's I, super cool. Yeah, because, you know, I'm a photographer, so I see that. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, what do we got here? You and know? then I'm working on it. They're also working with me on developing a tripod that'll match up with it. Nice. Specific around what we need for hunting. Yeah. And how to reduce weight. Dude, and that's so awesome. My goal is to have the world's lightest best functioning tripod and head setup because there isn't one solution out there yet that everyone goes oh you got to buy this setup yeah because there isn't yeah. and nobody's totally happy with it as hunters so if you need any- this is just like you know stuff i'm always trying to work on whether it's food whether it's gear whether it's materials yeah product well if you need any r&d me and casey will go out hunting somewhere and i'll i'll take pictures or do whatever i gotta do right on <laughs> yeah. well, if you like if you do pictures you can i'll give you a head to test when it's ready yeah for sure yeah for absolutely sure. that'd be cool man that's the fun stuff to do is like this you know, creation around problem solving. And yeah. Work on it. And also you guys you see have any, product. any desire to make food? I do. Like bars or something I like want that? To, or I, specific I, foods or dehydrated foods? Or I can't, now that I'm working with Judd, I've realized we don't have the right food. Right. Not for what we do. Right. And... Um, yeah, I saw the I'm, video where you're like, you got bagels and stuff. I'm like, what's with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't watch any more of this. No, I'm just kidding. No, but it's true though, right? Yeah. That's before I understood right. really what the body needs. You got to be jacked but, in but, tan. Yeah, you got to be jacked in tan. <laughs> but you got to also train your body to burn on fat. And then you need a fat-based diet for what we're doing. And right now it's really hard to put together. Right. Especially when you're buying bars, they're, they're stacked with carbs. Right. There's some people that make some, uh, you know, interesting things like, uh, I don't know if you ever had fat fudge. I have. It's terrible. Yeah. uh, Taste wise. Yeah. Yeah, Rogan gave me one. Right. And I was like eating (laughs) baby poop. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people don't uh, necessarily love the uh, flavor. Dude, that's, that's a sign that I'm in the wrong business. (laughs) So that's a collab we did. Pat put together with Anchorage Brewing. I don't know if you know of Anchorage Brewing, but they were a craft brewer up out of Anchorage. They have a crazy following and they, so cool how they do their 
beer. Like they, they ferment it in barrels like you would with wine. Right. Right, Pat? I mean, it's like wine, but it's beer and it creates these crazy flavors and, and they do these, everything's limited runs because they're brewing it in a keg, like a barrel, right? right. So um, they do limited runs and they came to us because we're, they're big fans of Kuyu. I'm like, hey, can we do Kuyu beer? And that's like, what do you think? I'm like, of course, <laughs> for sure. And didn't realize the response we get to it. So that sold out, I think, almost immediately, right, Pat? And then we have what we call, that's the VS double IPA. And then we have the Verde um, Pilsner that comes out. When's that come out? Oh, it's an IPA, yeah. not a double. And then my favorite one that's coming out is the, hey, where are you getting those? Um, <laughs> this next one that comes out is the Goliath, which you click on that keg that's right there. Okay. And that's the last one, which is a double stout. Mm. And it's got a picture of this ram I killed. We call it Goliath. You're going to create the first uh, lightweight beer? <laughs> <laughs> we got comments on that. Yeah. Is that ultralight? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, right. No, it's heavy. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, that's a really cool product and uh, project, and this America's response has been great. And those collabs are fun, right? And Gabe does an awesome job up there. If you're ever in Anchorage, let me know. Yeah, I'll set up a meeting with you. You got to go by and check out what he's doing. Oh, that would be it's cool. like that niche cool. It's like what you're doing, right? Right, crafty stuff. Um, so the next thing is is you're going to launch some stuff in the fitness category. We are awesome. So what's that know, look like? We train to hunt, and um, you know, I've you know, I'm super picky on what I wear. Um, being in the business, I'm always turning everything inside out, looking at tags. Fashionista. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> being a fashion designer, uh, just I had train our customers train and thought, you know, I can make the best training gear in the world and not have to sit, have retail markup in it and make stuff better than some on the market. I want it. Maybe our customers would. So I built some prototypes, trained in it, took some pictures, put them on Instagram and you're like, oh man, can I get some? So right. Our first product line comes out this fall around the holiday season. We can buy, we have gym bag and uh, training shorts and, and shirts and hoodie, zip up, zip up hoodies and awesome. gym shirts. And then that'll continue to expand throughout next year. Gym socks. And it's cool. amazing stuff. I'm going to set you up in it. Yeah, that'd be great. Stuff dries faster, weighs less. Like our shirts are, are amazing. Fantastic. on fabric we're using for our, our pants and our shirts now. Yeah, I mean, people need, they need uh, more choices, you know? There's, they do. There's not a lot of great. Not on premium like... quality. Right. You know, I think Lulu does a good job, but it's my wife's brand. Right. You know, as far as really good quality performance fabrics, right. um, I see them buying fabrics from some of our similar suppliers and, but I know where Nike buys fabrics and I know where Adidas and it's just, that's all cut rate, mm -hmm. low quality stuff. And where do you go buy good quality, <laughs> well-made fitness, right. you know, training gear. What's, uh, what's next for you guys? Business-wise? Just continue to do what we're doing. I mean, you're going to see fitness coming out. We're going into youth because cool. I've got kids. Right. And uh, we've had a huge uh, response to initial marketing around that. Uh, and then you're going to see, uh, from us, a wider range of solid colors, lifestyle products, uh, men's accessories, computer bags, computer backpacks, um, stuff you can use day to day. Our customers want more Kuyu. They want to use more Kuyu in their life because they love the quality of the fabric, the brand and what we can deliver at the price we do. So our goal is just to continue to do what we're doing and taking care of our customers with new innovations and new technologies and, and focusing on um, and also um, working with you know, technology and design to reduce weight and increase performance. We've got a new product line coming out next year. It's a whole new skin-to-shelf system that will uh, you know, reset the bar in technical apparel and layering 
so far above what's ever been created. And it's everything's from the raw material all the way through to the finished product is all new, all That's created great. with, with working with Torre, working with a really innovative designer, the factories on new construction technologies, and that launches out next year. And it's, um, I just saw some of the samples. It's so cool and it weighs less, performs better, and is gonna really, um, you know, push us far ahead of any technical apparel company in the world. Two things, I think you need to have a book, and the second <laughs> I thing, do. I'll keep you more busy, and the second thing is, I think you need to have a podcast. You know, we've talked about it. Yeah. Um, why are you and, talking about it? Just do it, let's go. <laughs> Get rolling. I know, I'm let's like go. that too, like, why don't you do that? So yeah, yeah. if you don't quit talking about it. Um, yeah, you definitely should. Thank you. You have a lot of information to give people, and I'm sure, uh, you know, even if you did some of it a little bit this way, like we're live. I think it's if great. You, live. If you do it, if you do it live, you can answer some questions. You can have interaction with your fans as you do yep. with your product launches. And stuff. No, it's great. And I love to share. Right. Um, you know, I get people ask me questions about business. Sharing is caring. It is. I love giving back. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure you do too. I mean, it's re very rewarding. Anyone I can help with my story and inspiration is so rewarding. You have a store? I do. Where's the store at? It's on Dixon. It's in okay. Dixon right off the freeway. Um, right along I-80, it's a thousand square feet stacked with gear and equipment and cool. expertise. It's awesome. That little store does. Where's the company uh, based out of? In Dixon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right where our store is. It's in a part of our office. It's kind of like what you've got set up here. Yeah. Um, sounds cool. And then, uh, yeah, we just expanded and opened up another 5,000 square feet of office space. And now we're just, we're. One step at a time. One step mm -hmm. at a time, as you know. Anything else, Andrew? No, I just want to say, I think it's great that you're coming out with solid colors for your gear. Thank you. Because, like, growing up, like, all the kids that either uh, had a dad or uncle that was into, like, hunting and stuff, they always wore, like, the, the camo gear to school yeah. and stuff. You know, they're always in, like... Or they're ag looking like Elmer Fudd. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're like... Oh, yeah, usually. It was always the kids in ag and stuff, you know? Yeah. And, like, I, I had no... Like, I couldn't... Like, uh, I had zero in common with them. But the one day I did try on some hunting gear, like, uh, a buddy of mine let me borrow it because it was raining and I had nothing. And I was like, dude, this is awesome, but I can't wear my Reebok Classics, yeah. a, a backward snapback, and a, and a fucking, you know, duck skin <laughs> jacket. I'll look like a tool. But with uh, Casey's jacket, he he's showing it off, and I'm like, dude, that's a sick oh, jacket. Oh, our jacket yeah, that he had? Yeah, yeah. It's it like is. It's lightweight. It's yeah. warm. So I, I think that's great, dude. And yeah, it's always been part of the plan. Yeah. Um, it's just been getting to financial uh, ability financially to support bringing in solids. We, I mean, we couldn't keep camo in stock. So it's like, why do solids that slow, sell slower? So now it's part of the overall plan. Yeah. And um, you'll see almost everything in solids and a big push into just pure lifestyle plays too That's now. cool. And then uh, keeping everything lightweight, when you started the podcast, you were talking about hunting sheep. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are in, or they just don't know exactly. Not the sheep you see when you're driving down the road. Yeah. So can you explain why hunting sheep is so damn hard? Sure. Yeah. It's truly the ultimate test. If you're, a, if you're a hunter and you want to test yourself, you go sheep hunting. Um, and you go sheep hunting for like a doll sheep or a stone sheep, which is two, sh what they call thin horn sheep. There's four species in the United States. There's two thin horns and two big horns. Uh, what's unique about hunting like a doll sheep is the place you have to go. Mm -hmm. So we'll hunt up in the Yukon, Alaska, the Northwest Territories. It's very remote. When you're that far north, the weather conditions have, you know, you're going to see a wide range of weather conditions that can change rapidly. I've been in the situation where it's been 20 below zero. Jeez. I've had it where it's been scorching hot, where we're diving into snowbanks to, mm. to get out of the heat. Wow. Um, the, the physical requirements, the training, the preparation, it's the ultimate test. And then sheep, because they're so remote and they live in such unique places, um, they're very tough to hunt. Mm. They have incredible eyesight. So it's like, 
know, it's truly the ultimate test. Yeah. You know, you're going to go do the most remote, most difficult, most challenging thing in the world as a hunter and you want to test your skill, you go sheep hunting and then you try to shoot the oldest ram you know, they live to be up to 12 years old. We've killed, I've killed one that's 14 years old. And then you try to find the oldest one on the mountain, which makes it even that much harder. Mm. They're that much smarter. Um, and that's testing yourself. It's yeah. like anything we do, right? It's like, yeah. I want to get to a thousand pound bench, right? Right. That's my mark. Like, right. I want to be a sheep hunter from the time I was a kid. I want to hunt sheep. And, uh, we market to that, that, that target market because if our gear can stand up to what people are going to face in those conditions, those places, then it's going to work great to go deer hunting in my backyard. Right. Right. It's kind of like the outdoor brands talking about their gears for Everest, but people are wearing it to walk their dog in the park. <laughs> right. It's cool because of it. Yeah. It's aspirational. Like, just like what you've done with, you know, focusing on powerlifting. Absolutely. And those customers. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for explaining yeah, that. <laughs> it's not helping sheep over the fence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I don't judge people to do that. But yeah. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it was uh, awesome having you on the show here today. I'm glad you got a chance to check out Super Training. Yeah, I'll have too. to come over and uh, check out your spot over there. I'd love, love to, to have you. Love to have you show me around a little bit. That would be awesome. Love to show you what we do. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find us at kuyu.com. Uh, you can always find me on social media, Instagram. Um, I have my own personal Instagram, Jason M. Harrison. Um, or you can just call the office. I'll answer the phone. You can send me emails, Jason H at kuyu.com. Um, I've always been available. And, and cool. um, you guys uh, have a YouTube channel as well. We have a YouTube channel. We have a company, Instagram company, Facebook, easy to find. Awesome. Multiply your hustle, multiply your muscle and may all your shits be tapered. <laughs> <laughs> strength is never weak this week does never strength see you guys later thanks for having me